Restaurant Unstoppable bonus episode. We're talking to Chef Evan Hennessy. Yes, I know that name sounds familiar. His episode went live a few days ago, but today we're going to talk shop, meaning I'm connecting Chef Hennessy with my network of restaurant owners and operators. What I want to start doing every time I get a, a, a restaurant tour on the show, I want to give them the option to schedule a live Q&A with my audience to really pull back more layers. I do my best to, to get as much out in an hour and a half and to ask the right questions in that time I'm allotted. But you know, sometimes there's just more. Sometimes I just want to pull back more layers. After listening to and editing the episodes, there's like, oh, you know, there's there's so much more I could have gotten from this this conversation. So I want to use these opportunities to, to ask those questions I wish I had and to also give you the opportunity to ask the questions you wish I had. So that's what's happening with Talk Shop. Uh, we actually recorded this today, earlier today, and I have content in the library right now thing is, um, I've been pretty transparent about how it's been tough to find sponsors because of COVID-19 and how sponsors uh, understandably are very conservative. Uh, we don't know what the future looks like. I think we're starting to get a, a better vision of the future every day. And I think things are getting more and more loose, which is a good thing. Uh, and sponsors are getting a little bit a little bit more confident in spending, which is good news for us. I'm starting to get the support I need to really bring this thing back to almost a year ago where it was when I was really looking to to, to do more and to, to make a bigger impact on you, my listeners. And um, we have sponsors. People are buying up ad space, which is really great. But uh, I'm waiting to get the assets from my sponsors uh, to create the ads. So instead of just launching episodes without sponsors, and basically that's like burning money for me. Like every time I launch an episode without sponsors, that's an opportunity lost. So I'm going to I'm, I'm sitting on some content right now waiting to get the assets I need to create the ads for my sponsors. So today I'm just going to share this uh, bonus episode today in the network we recorded with Evan Hennessy. Uh, it's a really great conversation. Uh, we really pull back the details of the economy of having a prefixed menu and how he does that and what kind of revenue he is making and what, what the secrets are to executing this. He's open three days a week and he's grossing over $25,000 a month with 44 customers a week. Yeah. How the hell is he doing it? Well, we find out in today's conversation and, um, I think there's a ton of value here, like I said, and we get some of our listeners able to, uh, ask their questions. And this is something all of you can do. If you want to be a part of restaurant unstoppable network, where it's literally a platform where you create a profile and you get to engage with other restaurant tours across the nation and support each other. And I, you get to engage with the guests I'm bringing on. You get to be a part of these live workshops. By the way, we have Carrie Luxem from Carrie Luxem uh, human resources. You might've heard of her name. She's kind of a, a, an HR goddess. Like she's like the God of HR. Um, she's coming on the show to do a workshop on retaining well, first on how to recruit and then how to uh, not retain, but how to create systems around onboarding your employees. We're going to do a workshop on that. That's happening in two days, Wednesday. So if you want to be a part of that conversation in all future conversations, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a 30-day trial so you can test it out. Uh, so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 30-day trial. All right, I'm going to make that right after we get off the, the call here. I'm going to just put a quick link in there so you guys can find it. And um, also, with that net, that network, you, you get access to me. Uh, I call it Coffee with Eric. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm making myself available for an hour between noon and one uh, just to basically talk shop and to be there for you on whatever it is you want to discuss. So that's what you're going to be getting from this network right now. You're going to be able to join the conversation with the, the workshops. You're going to be able to reflect on the episodes with my, my guests and you're going to have access to me and a bunch of other restaurant tours who are trying to be the best. So it's a support group. Uh, we also offer um, a mastermind, which is a two hour block once a month to help you set and make your goals. If you're interested in that, we have two spots available for the Q4 uh, pop off in two weeks. Uh, the third week of October is when we're popping that off. I think I have room for two more. So shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com if you want to be a part of that. And um, the only other thing I want to do before we hit start on today's episode is uh, I, I would like to share my core values with you. So I, I had a list of core values. I think it was like up to eight core values. And on my last road trip uh, down to Texas and back to get the rest of my things, I had I was driving with my friend uh, 
and we're taking turns driving. So it gave me some time to, to like really work out and to talk through some of these core values. And I was able to narrow it down to, to four. And these might, there might be more. I'm sure there will be more, but these are the ones I'm sure about are the ones I want to share with you. And one of the lessons we've learned is that if you take the time to write these core values down and to write your vision down, it's pointless unless you share it. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sharing my core values uh, with you, hoping that you can align with these core values. And um, this is kind of really near and dear to what I'm trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable. So here they are. Uh, we have integrity is the first core value, meaning we trust or meaning that trust is our unique selling proposition. Integrity is greater than expediency. And we put the service to others ahead of our own ambitions. Uh, we place the good of the tribe before our own personal game and the easy road will not tempt us. We will be consistent and deliver on our promises. So this is an example. Like today, I, I, I'd like to promise two episodes a week. Uh, so I'm throwing some bonus episodes in here uh, because I'm, I'm sitting on the content that I have sponsors lined up for to make sure that they can give me the assets. So I'm, I'm giving you something, right? So that's what you know. today's episode is a reflection of this, right? And the uh, next core value is we are students of life led by our open minds. We understand that outer growth begins with inner growth. We surround ourselves with smart people that have different perspectives and we are open to those perspectives, understanding that we don't have all the answers, constantly innovating, implementing, and orchestrating our knowledge. We can only improve others by improving ourselves. Our success is measured by the value delivered in the lives made better. So I think this is pretty obvious. We're obviously, you know, constantly learning here at Restaurant Stoppable. And if there's one thing I've learned is that the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. You'll never know everything. And what works for somebody else might not work for you. So you really have to get that perspective. And I think open minds right now, especially are so important because of the world we live in these echo chambers, we can get sucked into got to have an open mind. Uh, the next core value we educate, we recognize that it's our obligation to humanity to share our knowledge, values, and virtues with the next generation of professionals. This is how lasting change is made. And I really think this is homo sapiens society's unique selling proposition. This is why we're so powerful as a species. We can compound off our ancestors. We can take what they figured out and pay it forward to the next generation. And once we figure this out, we can really lean into it. And with the internet and podcasting, like there's no excuse. Uh, I think we can really make lasting impact on, on humanity if we, if we accept this and lean into it. And then lastly, we collaborate. We believe in win-win situations and understand that we may be able to go faster alone, but we go further together. Uh, and that's kind of like the, I feel like one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that you shouldn't look at people in your community as competition, but you should look at them as comrades and opportunities to, to lean on each other and to diversify your network. And the more people you have in your network, the more relationships you can manage. Well, uh, the more you have to in your arsenal, uh, you can lean on those people who are strong where you're weak and they can lean on you when, when they need help. And that's probably one of the biggest consistent similarities I've seen in my guests is that they aren't afraid to help others and they aren't afraid to ask for help when they need it. And they're, they're there for each other and you, you go so much further together is the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned. And if we can take that mentality and like 10 exit, and that's really what restaurant unstoppable is, is realizing that we can go further together and we can be better together. If we share knowledge and we, we pay it forward and we raise the bar, all ships rise with the tide, right? So those are my four core values. And, um, I don't think it's going to end here, but that's the start. Uh, I'm open to some suggestions. If you think there's some other core values I should have listed, I want to build this with you guys. That's one of the other things I've realized is over the past, especially over the past three years, I've been so lonely and just traveling so much, meeting such incredible people, but not really settling roots anywhere, not really having consistency in relationships in my life, uh, which is another reason why I want to slow down uh, and connect with my listeners on a whole new level, connect with my guests on a whole new level. And I don't want to do this alone anymore. If we're really going to take this thing to the next level, we need to do it together. I need help. I need to, br- I need to let people in. I need to, to share my vision. I need to get perspective and have people share their ideas and how I can best serve you. So that's what's happening at the network is I'm just opening myself up and being much more receptive to what you guys need and going to work for you. And 
on that note of like sharing your vision, my vision for Restaurant Unstoppable, like I know Restaurant Unstoppable is going to serve me incredibly someday as a restaurateur, uh, being able to lean on these these relationships and these experts in my network. But I don't have that restaurant yet. But I might as well use these relationships to serve you, my audience. So if you're in the network, you'll be able to tell me what your pain points are. You'll be able to tell me where, where, your, where your, your challenges are. And then I can use those as, you know, clues and cues to go after my network to get people to help and serve you. So if you want to join the network, if you want to be a part of this, again, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash free trial. And uh, man, I really did not mean to make these opening thoughts go uh, 10 minutes, but I feel like we shared a lot of good stuff here. And uh, with no further ado, here is our shop talk with Evan Hennessy. I hope you guys enjoy it. And Chef Evan Hennessy, man, thank you so much for coming to talk shop with us today. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have some people trickling through into the conversation as we get going. Uh, but really what we're here to do right now is just to reflect on your episode, uh, reflect on your career, and to give my listeners and our network an opportunity to pull back a few more layers. Uh, I, I do my best to ask as many questions in an hour and a half, but only you know an hour and a half is only so much time. So hopefully this opportunity is a way for you guys to kind of pull back those layers you, you wish I had. So um, I'll get the conversation going real quick um, because there's one thing I wish we kind of pull back a little bit more in the time we had together. And I'm really interested in the economics of your business because I hear you're only open three days a week for dinner only. And my mind just starts like cranking. Like, how do you guys make that possible? I know this is more your, your brother's side. He's the the financial dude. Um, Yeah. But can you can you shine any more light on that for us? Because I feel like the yeah, balance you've yeah, created for yeah, yourself is yeah, amazing. Yeah, of course. It's probably the most frequently asked question that, that we get is is simply of how does this actually work? Because you know, one of the things that you and I touched on back in the interview, we were saying, you know, so many people think that it's a it's a game, it's a volumes game, right? It's a yeah. volume game, and it's like no, it's a numbers game, and it can work out however you need it to work out. It comes down to how much money are you paying out uh, versus how much money are you taking in, and that that number and you can add as many zeros to that that bottom line as you want and that's the game that you are playing okay um and you know for us we talked about you know it's about building a a comfortable lifestyle and as long as the business facilitates um well you know pays the bills in the in the paycheck that's that's what it is i know as a model food wise and hospitality wise it's not something that can grow to a bigger scale just because we start breaking down the the idea and the um and the concept so the the way that it works for us is that we keep everything uh overhead wise as low as possible our our rent is super low when we were looking around for locations that was one of the the key things that we wanted to be able to uh you know put the money into into the food and into the the construction of the kitchen and not have to put it into the rent simply just to be there um, with a kitchen, we can do a lot of steam things. We can, you know, buy new equipment. We can move the kitchen around. We can make it help the experience of the guests. Therefore, in turn, helping the guests. If we're just paying rent, there isn't a single guest that cares how much we pay. How much we pay. Okay. So, <clears throat> if we can minimize the overhead, which we did. So, being in Dover, uh, rents there are you know pretty cheap. And again, being up in a, in a mill building, we did that. We found a pretty cheap rent for what we did. We also didn't go into an existing restaurant space, which would already carry a higher rent as it is anyways, because it already sort of has that, that sort of, uh, I guess that, that clause of it is that it's already a built out space. Yeah. So if you go into something that's um, not that you're already minimizing uh, what you're spending out the door. Yeah. I just want to, uh, I just want to catch up Cora. She just joined us. I want to make sure she knows yeah. what the question was. So Cora, uh, I just want to catch you up. The question I asked Evan to kind of follow up on our interview was we talked in that in, in Evan's interview, he, he mentioned that he's only open three nights a week. Uh, and what I asked is how do you make that possible with the economics? Three nights a week is all just, just for dinner. And he's kind of saying it's, it's not, it's not a volume game. It's a numbers game. And he's kind of explaining that he's c- controlling his expenses and his liabilities is kind of what we're yeah. talking about right now. So if you go into kind of like the, the way that you would break down like your business plan and how much you're paying for different things, you know, just start with your overhead, forget about the food for a second is that, you know, the more you're paying for rent, the more you're paying for utilities, the more you're paying for your grease trap to be serviced, the more you're paying for uh, anything else, whether you have parking spaces or any of that, your signage, whatever else that you're paying out the door, therefore the higher volume you have to do in order to at least cover that section of your, your bills. You haven't even touched payroll yet. 
Now, again, with a bigger footprint, obviously you have more seats, therefore you need a bigger payroll and then you, your taxes are higher. Everything just gets bigger, bigger, bigger. And as we talked about with adding zeros to the end of that number, the whole formula works, whether it's super large scale or super small scale. It's just depending on what, what size you want to manage. For us, you need know, to talk about the managing risk. So we have minimized the amount of exposure and the amount of risk that we have uh, within the industry. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about COVID, uh, just bring that in real, real, real quick. Um, when we had to close down, uh, I have friends that have, you know, restaurants and all, and people are laying off, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of, of employees where I laid off one. Um, and so that we're minimizing our risk, our exposure and our damage to, to the industry and to us as a whole. Yeah. Um, any, any follow-up questions, anybody at any point, if you have a question and you want to get your question out, you can either comments in the uh, chat section or just raise your hand and you guys can raise your hand if you hover over your name and there's a little more icon there. That's how you can raise your hand. Uh, so I feel like this advice that you're giving on us is, is I feel like if you already opened your restaurant and you're already kind of the, 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 you know, you have your location, you're already in this kind of, this is advice we really can't capitalize on. It's something you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind before, like when you really think about like, what kind of business do I want to create for myself before right. you've ever committed to anything? Cause yep. it's hard to go back. Um, it, it really is hard to go back. If, again, if I could jump in real, you know, talk about like risk and exposure, the, the bigger of an operation you jump into, it, you know, initially, especially your risk is huge. You know, whether it's the loan you're taking on, um, the employees that you have to manage, it's, it's, or the concept that you're trying to get out to a larger number of people. It is, it's gigantic. Um, whereas we, we took the opposite route of keeping it small. So, you know, restaurants fail every single day. So if we fail, uh, our, our exposure is about as small as it could possibly be. And then we as a company, regardless of the restaurant, but we as a company can actually recover much faster because there's less of a hole to get out of in the first place. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm curious, one other thing I really enjoyed about your episode and something that I feel like we can all learn from regardless of what type of operation we have is how good you are at letting your restaurant be a reflection of who you are and to kind of yeah. paint the picture. Actually, why don't you paint the picture of the things that you put in your restaurant that are an extension of the things you enjoy, the, the, the values you have, kind of paint that picture because I think that's something yeah. that we can all benefit from in the people looking at the list of folks that have joined us today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of like, you know, verbally walk you through, like when you walk through the front door of stages, um, we have a nice little lounge area, some chill couches, rugs and whatnot. And then as you proceed through that area, um, I built a rock climbing wall uh, in there. Uh, I climb a lot. My, uh, my younger son climbs quite a bit as well. And um it's something that's a piece to, a piece of me and a piece of us. And I really wanted, I've always sat on the idea that, you know, people say, you know, chefs spend more time in their restaurants than they do at home. I said, like, well, then let's make the restaurant home and let's make it exactly what, you know, it's something I've got to be comfortable with all the time and not just feel like you're going to work. Um, and so I wasn't afraid at all to bring in pieces of what I enjoy in life into the restaurant and to let people into you know, my personality and, and into me, you know, as a person. And so that they know me more as just as, you know, the food that's on a plate. Um, and then it becomes, you know, more of a home thing. We always talk about, you know, the, the way uh, stages is constructed is that you have more or less, you know, a kitchen table or a bar inside the kitchen. And we, we say like, you know, when you have uh, guests over a party at your house, like, where does it always come back to the kitchen? Yeah. So might as well just start that, start that there. And, um, you know, we want everybody to feel comfortable. We try to break down boundaries of high-end dining and um, not make it so, you know, stuffy. It's like you walk in, the first thing you see is, you know, like a lounge and then a rock climbing wall. <laughs> yeah. So, <it's laughs> I mean, some of the other examples of the things that I saw just being there, I mean, obviously the rock climbing wall, um, you yeah. had the all the paintings on the wall. And yep. there were the paintings and drawings from your kids, which I thought was just That's really right. cool. Uh, and then behind yeah. the actual the, the bar where you where you seat your guests there's your whiteboard the whiteboard and get into that whiteboard and what's going on like what was your thought behind that whiteboard i'm just curious so actually i saw that um there's a restaurant that i've been to many times in uh, in new york called atara to michelin and um they have a, a pdr downstairs and when i went down there they had what's i guess a pdr was, i'm sorry uh private dining room okay thank you uh, um downstairs <clears throat> down by their prep kitchen 
And uh, up on that, they you can see it hadn't been used in a little bit, but they had, you know, sort of cookbooks, notebooks. This is just what was on the table. So obviously they had like a brainstorming session recently. Um, some notebooks were there and then they had a whiteboard up on the wall and it just had like kind of, uh, a, you know, sketch drawing of a dish and it was with different notes. And what I realized is that, so when I went down there, um, they were totally fine with people seeing that and, you know, letting uh, their guests into the thought process uh, of what's behind. And I always, it, it was, I have so many aha moments, you know, throughout dining and, and being in the kitchen. And that was one of those, like, let people behind the scenes, you know, pull the curtain. Um, you know, people are more interested, myself included, in what's going on more than what's just on the plate. Um, they want to know how, how things got to the plate, you know, with um, so many people in, in the industry, you know, people are curious, like, how did you do this? How did you figure this out? How did you think of that? How did you get to this point? I mean, th- that's the point of our conversation uh, to begin with, you know, Eric. And it's like, it, it's, it's great when you can show that and not, and I think let people into that process. And so that's what I wanted to do with that whiteboard is that, you know, I have, you know, various little, you know, dish ideas, flavor combinations, uh, quotes from Picasso, uh, my goals for this year, which, um, you know, I've gotten most of, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, just, you let people in to the personal side of things. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I hate the word trend in the restaurant industry because I hate people. Yeah. That, I, I would never recommend chasing trends because they come and go yeah. so fast, but right, there, right. there is a pattern. I'll say a pattern right now that I'm picking up on with people in the industry where the idea of a concept seems to be going like out the window and these like the restaurants that I see you saw with St. Germain right in when I was down in um, uh, New Orleans uh, these these the restaurants are becoming more an extension of people who they are and like we talked yes. about in the show being vulnerable and opening up and just literally your business is a reflection of who you are but I think concepts are going away I, we're not necessarily going away but I, you're seeing more and more people focusing on just being who you are and like what, why, why do you think that's so impactful? Like what's happening there? What's the psychology behind that? Why do people gravitate towards that more than creating say just an experience? I think people are they're They're becoming less and they're becoming, uh, well, it's a less and less afraid of putting their personality, their actual true personality into it. And as we see, you know, individuality and personality is a huge part of, um, experiences, not just dining experiences, but, you know, depending on like where you're going, you know, theater, all sorts of different things, the more personalized something, you know, is the more in tune with it and more in touch with it that you as a guest feel. Um, and, and we want to feel closer to our guests um, with that. And that, that I guess over the course of time, a lot of those little walls have been sort of broken down. And instead of doing a cookie cutter method of like, you know, th- this is how you construct a restaurant. It's, uh, it, it just, yeah, I think people are starting to figure out, like, it's okay if I put these pictures up on the wall. It's okay if I start putting my personality all around the place. And it becomes literally that you went to, like, that's the concept. Yeah. You know? And it, I think it's easier to show up to something that's an extension of who you are um, yeah. than it is a, a, a job or a concept where you right. have to, like, put up this persona, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you, do you ever, do you have a, do you have desires or hopes to, to expand beyond what you're doing with stages is, is this, are you trying to stay small now so you can scale into something else or is this all you ever want? Um, as far as future projects, we like the idea of small because it's manageable. Um, I don't think that we would, and I, I didn't say, you know, like never say never, yeah. but at the moment better is that we have no plans on looking anything large scale. We would ma- rather manage several small projects um, then we would some bigger ones. Again, a lot of it has to come down to risk and exposure, um, from a business perspective. Um, but stages as it's, as it is right now will never expand. Um, and I want to make sure that that always happens. Um, because it literally is, we've created a character. This is actually, actually, this is a really good point right here is that I, is that I think is like, and when I walk into a restaurant and this is mine included, this is one of the reasons why I built, built in the, the climbing wall too, is that I always say it's like, anytime I walk in my own front door, um, for the longest time, I never felt like it had a character. I never felt like it, it was anything. It never, it never had a personality to it. Um, and that's something that, you know, we walk into and when you walk into a place is like, you want, I, I want to feel that I want to feel that it has a character to it. Um, and I would, yeah, so I wanted to bring that element in. Yeah. So, um, 
talking about COVID-19, I know you guys have kind of pivoted and adapted to do takeout and then you're, you're not yeah. doing that anymore. Um, wh- with your, like what, what, what's the economics of how you're planning on getting back into or scaling, getting like revving back up into the current, I don't know, ecosystem that we're in with COVID-19 and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the takeout thing. And so, I mean, that worked out really well. Um, market-wise, that hit a market that we hadn't touched before. Um, and it's a totally different price point. So, we were able to take our same philosophy and quality of food and keep it in the volume scale that we that we liked, but yet apply it to a different mark, uh, part of the market. So, I think what one thing I would love to be able to do, and our kitchen is nicely set up for this, is that I would love to eventually bring the takeout back, um, and so that we offer our our tasting uh, tasting menu, but then we can also simultaneously offer our bistro style, family style uh, takeout. Um, that you talk about sort of future plans. That would be that. But again, it's you know with COVID, it's such a slow moving thing, um, and we're always very very conservative of when we make these moves. Um, we like to let the market kind of filter itself out and kind of see what, what it will hold before we jump in and decide, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're nowhere near clear, you know, by any, by any stretch of the imagination right now. Um, you know, what you saw, what we just discussed before with being open three days a week, we have two seatings, five thirty, eight o'clock that, that, that works. That, that does really well for us right now. Um, you know, unfortunately is the pandemic, but for, but fortunate was what we created out of it. Yeah. Um, and we put ourselves into a really, really good spot to not only set now, but sets us up for future moves. Well, I think that your model right now, having the, the, you see nine people on your fullest capacity, right? Nine. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like people would feel much safer going to a restaurant that they know didn't have uh, 200 people run through it in a day, right? There's only nine people. Right. Odds are, you know, the majority of the people you're sitting with, right? They're yeah. friends yep. or family. Um, yep. I, I feel like your model isn't, it's not, obviously it's not COVID. Uh, what's the word? COVID. Uh, it's not untouchable, but right. uh, there, there, there seems to be a, it's, it's easier for you to, to, to get your, the numbers you're doing before because you don't, because because your space is so small so it right, was right. easier for you to recover or will be easier for you to cover do you think that's yeah. am i making an assumption there no no well perhaps but you're also quite true um you know again one of the something that we always liked was the element of control um and it was to control the guests coming in to control the experience to control the cut the cost of it control the finance and now at this point we are we are forced to deal with and control the effects of COVID. And with that, given the model that we had set up based on the control being in our hands, um, we are able to control that, that we control the flow through. We know, you know, we have good traceability, you know, um, with everything we know who has been through and our, and our clean down and changeover method uh, between guests is, you know, about as flawless as I think it can possibly get. Um, so that's, uh, again, we're, we're in a good spot with that. Yeah. Like you said, it's like the, the model unintentionally, but now is very, very set up for that. Yeah. I, I am a little curious, um, to move away from the, the topic of COVID-19 and more yeah. back to like life work life balance. Cause that, that's another thing that I applaud you for is, is finding that balance and almost again, like talking about like your, your, your restaurant space, the physical space, the, the physical space is an extension of who you are, but also the, the type of work you're doing to develop the menus you have is, is a, an extension of your, your other interests and your other hobbies like yeah. foraging, for example. So you're only open three days a week, but how many days a week are you actually working to be able to do the type of food that you do that has a story that, you know, you went, you foraged it, you picked it up yourself. Like what don't we see? Like what, what's happening behind the, the, the curtains, uh, that the public doesn't see to be able to execute what you do in the way you do it. Yeah. I think, um, I, I try my absolute hardest to take Sunday completely off. Um, <clears throat> we're at home and that's kind of our, our day to be at home and to kind of shut everything off. Um, and then for the rest of it, it's, uh, I mean, I sit out, you know, with a notebook. I mean, I'm constantly, you know, thinking of different things. So the, the idea is whether it's for the menu that week or for a future menu are constantly working. And then, um, in between, so I'll kind of run you through my week is that between Monday and Tuesday, um, I 
brainstorm the hell out of some things. You know, I just, I write all kinds of different stuff. I look at the dishes that I have. Can they continue? Do, uh, should they change? Do I want to change them? Um, and then I sit down and just start kind of going at it. And I put, you know, several hours of time into figuring them out, writing them out, thinking them through backwards, forwards, um, and, you know, throwing ideas, you know, to into, into the, into the trash. They're like, no, I don't even want to do that. Um, once I get into Tuesday, then I start, you know, you kind of head outside, you go for walks in the woods and whether it's, you're actually looking for ingredients or you're just being inspired to fine tune the, the dishes that I have written so often that I will put something on paper and say, and you know, say, it's like, no, that's a solid dish. I really like that. And then I go out, you know, climbing around, you know, walking in the woods or something like that. I was like, nope, you know, I really, I see the relationship between these two things. And I really would like to bring in something different. I want to be able to make these ingredients on this dish relate to each other a little more. And I sort of found another way to do that. Um, and so then I'll go back to my notebook and write that on even more. And then continuing from Tuesday into Wednesday is that, um, at this point I have food in the restaurant. And so that I will start, um, trying sauces, creating the dish and working on it. Um, and by Wednesday, by sort of, we'll say close the business on Wednesday, um, the dish is either going to hit the menu on Thursday or it's not. And at that point I know it. Um, <clears throat> and not to say that I change my menu completely every week. Um, but you know, the dishes that I am working on, that's what I put my, my time into getting them where I want them to be. Um, yeah. Thinking them through test, you know, tasting them, testing them. And then say, it's like, I like that, or I think it needs what, or it doesn't need what. And yeah, I, I analyze, you know, I, I am very much the, 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 the first line of like, you know, throw a dish down. I like, I, I shoot as many holes in as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I'm curious, like what, what is the balance between what you're, you're going out and getting foraging versus what you're purchasing from local farms or suppliers? Like, is there a percentage there or a balance you try to find? Uh, it, it waxes and wanes throughout the year. You know, as we're getting into, into colder you know, months now, it's like, you know, we're starting to tail off uh, now with like wild mushrooms and everything. And, you know, a lot of the ferns and herbs and flowers and plants that we're seeing are starting to, you know, die and decay. So those things are changing, um, you know, as we speak, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that like that idea is gone. You know, interestingly enough, it's like you walk through the woods, like, again, you think of the smells, you know, decaying leaves, you know, birch brand, you can smell black birch bark from, you know, half a mile away, yeah. um, you know, things of that sort. But that in itself, you didn't, you don't pick something, it still lends itself to the creation of a dish. Um, and then from there, you know, farm wise, it's, you know, we're, you know, towards the, t- the, the very end of uh, tomatoes, corn, things that we're getting, we're getting the squashes. So we're moving in that direction. Um, and then, you know, eventually we'll move, well, very, very soon. Like we're getting into root cellars, which is what carries, carries us vegetable wise through the, uh, through the winter. And that's combined with anything that we've, you know, pickled, preserved or fermented, over the over the course of the whole year. All right. Well, one other thing I'm curious about. So if, if if we are working with like a Cisco or US Foods or anything like we we get the order and then we we do our menu engineering, we cost everything out to the gram, we know exactly what to charge for that. When you're out yep. foraging and doing all this other stuff, like how do you know what to charge? Like how do you like <laughs> you know because you know you're not, you yeah. know, you don't have a uh, it's not it's like a liquid expense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. versus like yeah. a, a fixed expense that you can do the math and figure out. Like how are you guys finding those prices? Um, so the way I look at it in terms of the menu as a whole. Um, so again, like to break out numbers, to be, to be totally transparent is like our tasting menu costs $120 okay. uh, per person. So that I know over the course of say one menu that I roughly have, you know, we'll say 30 to $40 per person to spend on food. Um, and from there, you know, I can spend more money or more time, whichever way you want to put that dollar figure. Um, you know, on certain things. Oh, the beauties uh, of living in Maine. Hopefully, that? They, yeah. Uh, man. I thought it was archery season. Okay. I'm confused. Is somebody poaching duck, out there? Duck hunting. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. That's not so bad. Uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, keep going, man. Sorry, I get distracted easily. Okay. 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 All right. Um. Yeah, it's uh, hard to not to get distracted with gunshots. So, so duck's gonna be on the menu. Is what yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> I my, my, it might very well be my neighbor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, you know, so you think of, you know, the cost of food when you purchase from a farm, it costs, you know, X amount of dollars. When, when I go out and find things wildly, it costs me zero dollars. It's just my time. Yeah. Um, and so that that's one way to kind of amortize the cost of, 
um, you know, food purchases across a menu versus like dish for dish. When you're purchasing from Cisco to use, for example, and you're working on an a la carte menu, it's harder for you to spread across a menu, um, your entire menu, because you you're you're working on the guessing scenario of what your guests will order. Whereas I know every single day, every single week, exactly what my guests are having. Okay. So, um, so my overall food cost is very low. Yeah. Um, and my waste is like next to nothing. Yeah. So, um, so you have nine guests, you have three yeah. nights and you have two course or two, uh, I don't know, courses, not courses. What would you call it? Um, stage or windows. Cause you're oh, pre- seating. Seatings. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I'm doing the math at 120 uh, times nine times one, two, three, four, six. We're looking at $6,480 a week, approximately yep. revenue that you're bringing in. Are you filled most times? Are you pretty much, are you getting yeah. that max capacity every time? Yep. That's awesome. So like when, so we're talking about the money coming in. We, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the money going out. It's you and two other people. I currently it's me and a dishwasher. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, like getting, you know, where I'm going with this, right? Kind of, yeah. So break that down a little bit more and like how you guys manage that. So is me as far as like the, the cost of thing, like cost coming in or I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I kind of just, I think the idea (laughs) of like, it's, it seems more complicated, but it's actually way simpler. You know, like, you know, exactly. You have a fixed cost. To dine at your restaurant, and you can plan out um, how how far out into the future do you typically know when you like you're booked? Is it like a few weeks, a month or two? Like how far out does that go? Right now, we're booking roughly a month out. That's so awesome. I mean, our entire month of October is almost completely full. Um, we've got very few left in November. We have pockets, if you will, in throughout November. Um, like New Year's is in New Year's is booked. That's done. Um, and we've already got almost uh, all of uh, Valentine's week booked. Okay, that's um, awesome. Um, so, 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 so don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but what about if people don't show up? Like, how do you manage that with the, what you're doing? Is it is it non refundable? Like, they, you charge up front? Yeah, it's uh, we don't charge up front, but we hold the credit card, and so that when when they don't show, we charge them the menu price, the 120 a person. Okay, for, for the what about tips? How does that work with prefix meals? So. With us, because I don't have a front of the house, I am the front of the house. I don't, I don't personally collect tips okay. um, because I'm not I'm not allowed to. Um, but for us, is this so basically the tips stay in the business. Um, so you think of here's an interesting thing when you have like it's almost borderline on like like the no tipping policy. It's just kind of a different way to look at that. Um, and so somebody comes in, spends $120 on the menu. They do our wine flight for 65. And then there, then there's tax and then there's, you know, whatever percentage they end up tipping, you know, you're in the, in and around the neighborhood of 200 to $225 a person, okay. um, which comes into the business. So do your, you know, do your math again, uh, you know, 18 times three, um, and you know, figure out our weekly, uh, our weekly income, you know, and then from there, whether we can look at it on a monthly basis, I mean, we do payroll every, uh, every two weeks, um, which that comes taxes, uh, and then we have rent um, every month. And to you know, look at our, our rent is that one seating of one service. So let's say, let's say the five thirty seating on a Thursday pays my rent for the month. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm looking. I'm I'm doing the math. And I'm what is what is your operational expenses approximately a month? Um, ballpark. Ballpark is probably going to be about including taxes, close to. Uh, taxes not including payroll is going to be probably around four thousand. Taxes not including payroll around four thousand. So, so it would be what we would call that rent, taxes, utility, linen will probably be about four thousand. Then we'll then we'll tack payroll onto that, and then food cost or food purchase. And that's around right around four thousand uh, dollars. So the four thousand would be so if we ta- so then we add on payroll. It's four nine. This is when your brother comes in. I know, I know, because yeah, he'll just pull up a spreadsheet and just, like, yeah. it's right here. Um, so then we add on food purchases, so we're probably, like... It doesn't have to be exact. No, no, no. It's probably $13,000, $14,000 uh, a month. So you're looking at, like, 12... So, minus 10. I'm horrible at math. I'm right there with your brother. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you guys are right around uh, 26000 approximately 
a month worth of revenue, yeah. subtract thirteen thousand, you're doing pretty damn well. You know, you're, we are doing well. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is like this is how like I was really like you painted out that picture of the economics. How, how does this work, right? How do how do you do this? But there are yeah. some there are some caveats that I think are important to point out with this approach is that not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do it. And then the other thing that, that, that worked, the reason this works for us is that we set this up originally to do this versus having to morph into this model. Um, you know, again, like we, it's a very specific case where we have, you know, super low overhead. We have next to no staff um, and we have super low volume. Whereas if, you know, if you're including a much bigger footprint, therefore a higher rent, uh, therefore a higher payroll cost is like, you're just paying out tons and tons of money all the time. So again, it, it, it's relative to, to scale. Uh, we, we just chose to manage it on a much smaller scale. Yeah. I mean, you could take that, that, that 26,000 a year that you said, and just tack a zero onto it. It's yeah. 260, you know, and then you've got a restaurant that's doing, you know, uh, 80, 90 seats times X amount of days. And it's like, and they're up in that range. So it's all, it's all, it's, it's all like, well, what do you want to manage? And then that's where that, uh, that quality of life comes in. You know, I always think that the more volume, the more things, the more variable, the more people, the more somebody calls out, you have to cover, you know, all that other stuff. And there goes quality of life. Yeah. Awesome. And we just had a few other people join us. Uh, awesome. Jensen's here. Um, Jensen, we're talking about basically the economics of a prefix menu and how Evan's yeah. doing that. Uh, what type of revenue he can pull in, what his operational expenses are associated with that. And um, we found out he's doing pretty good. It's pretty, Great approach, and I, I I do see, I do see more restaurants taking this approach because there's just like it's so much easier to project, you know, it's so much easier to plan. Uh, quality of life is better. It's more intimate. It's more personal. Um, is there anything you, we haven't discussed up to this point as far as like some extra stuff that you think that you, some some unique knowledge that you know that you, you're privy to because of the type of work you're doing that you should share with the industry that I haven't pulled out of you yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, kind of along the lines of what we were talking about, you know, that there's market feasibility, meaning like what we do works for a lot of reasons because we're the only ones doing it. Um, and so if you took another restaurant group that came in and, and did something very close to what we're doing, you know, a higher price point, small seating, you know, try to do the same thing, um, at least in this area. And that's one of the key things because we're in a small area that. Um, it, it makes it so our concept works, you know, like the, the more people that would come in and try to do this. Now you're spreading out, you're spreading the market yeah. and it may make it. So instead of we do well, then everybody does. Okay. I, I think the market might adapt to this though. I think, I mean, it's, it is, there's not everybody can eat like this. There's that variable, right. but I do right. think that more and more people are, are becoming more aware of this type of dining. It's, it's, it's off most people's radar is even an option you know, yes. especially in the Northeast, in uh, yep. New Hampshire, New England, maybe not so much in Boston, but where we live at least. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that the, the market is going to be more open to that. I th- I'm also really, I mean, depending on how things go with COVID-19, I think that people are going to want, the people that do have the money are going to miss going out and eating in intimate settings so much that they're going to be more willing to, to put it up because they're, they're, they've they been, I don't know how long this is going to last, but like they've been starved of that experience for yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and as we're seeing as people, you know, go in is that, you know, we do have a nice intimate experience, you know, people come in wearing masks and everything and, you know, then they come in, sit down, get settled, then then it's kind of masks off and they relax and people are chatting, you know, from from group to group across the table. Um, and it actually like, it feels it really other than the fact that I'm wearing, you know, a mask and everything, it feels normal. It actually looks, it looks and feels like it should, you know, people are slightly spread out, but you know, there's still, um, you know, in, intergroup conversation, you know, going in, you know, across the, across the table, we had a, you know, example of just, um, just Saturday night, the R five thirty C they were loud, they were ruckus, <laughs> but, uh, but it was great. And everybody comes in, it was, it was, you know, uh, three deuces. They all sat separately and were very quiet and, you know, very, small amount of time into it. I was like, Oh, where are you from? Hey, is it your first time? You know, Hey, is it your first time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we saw my shop. Why are you here? You know, it's just, it, it literally just one conversation, a starter after another, you know, and six courses in the menu and everybody's, you know, loud and talking and having a great time. And it's a party. It's like, and that's what I want. You know, I love that idea. I love how that, that comes around that way. Evan, I've really enjoyed this follow-up conversation. Um, 
I don't know why everyone's being so shy right now. Uh, you guys are welcome to ask your questions. We got to start thinking about wrapping it up. So I just want to cue you one more time before we say goodbye. Um, we have some folks here. This is a live event for those. Who, if I do choose to, you know, share this with the rest of Restaurant Unstoppable audience, I do think there's a ton of value in this. Where I might add this as a bonus episode if you guys are cool with that. Um, so no questions. Got. This is your time, guys, to, to ask your questions. I have a question. Yes. Who who is that? John. Sean, go for it. Sorry, I didn't I didn't chirp in because you got ninety percent of my questions already nice. as all around the economics. But I guess my question is is for um I guess those not everybody can do the the small restaurant. Um or specifically around PR. I one piece I do think we take away from like a lower rent perspective. Um I'm I'm assuming that you're more of a destination because it's a unique dining experience, especially out in the east where you're at. Yep. But if you're not so fine dining, um, I guess how would you recommend that you can get a place with lower rent where you're not always looking for location, location, location? That's what kind of things can stand out. Obviously, really great food and really great service. But is there anything that you found that's been really successful to get I guess, the word out where people are willing to travel to you and to that location that's not so expensive? The, the things that it's a great question. Um, the things that have worked for us, because we have exactly that, we probably have a horrible location that has ended up working somewhat decently for us. Um, I try to do, uh, you know, as I'm sure you, you, you have, it's like you do a, a ton of community events. You go through a period where you literally don't say no um, to, to doing, to doing things. Um, and, you know, we talk about like PR is that we don't pay a PR person. I don't pay to advertise. Um, so that we can keep, you know, the money in house and, and keep our nice kitchen nice. Um, in that, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to be on television a couple of times, but I've, I've used myself as the PR person. I like, I've sort of gone out, I've done whatever it is that I can think of to do to get people in. And I know that's not, you know, very pointedly uh, answering your question, but it's like, um, you know, we, I, I'm not sure how your community is, but you know, we, there are a lot of events around here and the more you can still are like, you know, look eye to eye and chat with people about your concept and tell them about where you are and show, um, how proud you are of where you are and not like, you know, Oh yeah, well, we're kind of tucked off in the middle and you'll never find this. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to get to it's like, don't give them, t- don't give them 10 reasons why not to come, you know, give them two solid ones as to why to come there. Um, and it could be food and it could be, you know, hospitality, but you know, it could also be, you know, the community, you know, so I'll use Dover as an example where we are, you know, I would say it's a great little town. There's cool places to stay. Um, maybe make some friends with a local inn that's about the same scale as you. Um, you know, saying it's like, yeah, if you're able to come in, there's a great place to stay. Uh, you know, there's, here's some things to do and you make yourself part of uh, a community experience versus having to be the one standout item that they come out in that direction for if you can give them more than one reason to come towards you then not only do they have uh, a dining you know a dining experience with you but then they can walk around town or go shopping or you know stay at a, in an inn or a hotel around there gives them a little more to do a little more of a reason to kind of to, to come towards you um that that has kind of worked we we've worked well with uh, uh an inn uh here in dover um has, has been good uh it's and, and I, the other other thing is like it is a long process, man. I am not going to tell you that this thing happens overnight. I mean, we're eight and a half years into business, and I still push and work hard to keep this thing going. Um, I'm not sure how far into the into it uh, you, you are, but um, it definitely takes a while. It definitely does. Awesome, Sean. Any follow up? No, I really like the idea about like. No, no. I was just saying, I really like the thinking as a community versus an individual restaurant. The area that I'll be in is is very cute and quaint and i think yeah you know, there's a lot of little pockets of places i'm in nashville where people go but just to get more people to come to that area and like i said whether they're coming to your place or someplace else if they're in the area more often it's more likely that they're going to come to you more often too so that's, that's partner, exactly partnerships kind yeah, of stood out part- to me. yeah partnerships are, are, are a great thing and um, you know again one of the things that's i mean i i don't just say it but i you know i definitely am is like i'm really i love living where I love, where I am. I love being here. I love the community. I love the small town. I love the area that I'm in. So I love to be a part of it and uh, to be able to, to speak like that so that when people, when you talk to people, they see you kind of light up about your area and then they're excited about coming 
not just to you, but they're excited to coming, like you said, like to where you are in that area. And then that, you know, then you start getting put on not just their map, but you get put on other people's maps. Like, you know, I don't know the, the, the clothing shop downtown, you know, somebody like they're grabbing, you know, picking something up there and they're like, Oh, where should we go to dinner? Like, Oh, go to Sean's place. You know, then you start making networking and start making friendships in that way. So now you're on other people's maps and all of a sudden, you know, the little spider web that you are included in just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it does take, you know, it takes work to do it, but it's to, to me, man, it's, it's such an honest and, and positive way to be a part of what you, what, what you're building. Dude, it's almost like you guys are reading my mind because this is one of the things I was going to bring up. One thing I think that you do really well is like, who, who's like one of your best friends? Matt Lewis. Matt Lewis. Who, who is Matt Lewis? So Matt Lewis, uh, he owns, he's got four restaurants in Portsmouth, Moxie, Franklin, uh, Oyster House Street, um, and Luigi's Pizza. And somebody, he and I, were just we're constantly yeah. like all over the place. You Some, know? Somebody that you would look at, some people could say, as your competition, right? Yep. But the thing is, I've noticed this is definitely one of those patterns is that the people who are at the top don't like there, is there a friendly competition? I'm sure there's that comes up, but it, they know that they're, they can go much further together than they could ever go alone. And they share knowledge. They inspire each other. They, they promote each other. They, they collaborate on projects and, and yep. they help each other out. And I think that's another thing that you do. And a lot of other people in the, the New Hampshire seacoast area do is they come together and they know yes. that we can go so much further. the people that are at the top of the game in the seacoast area, New Hampshire seacoast area are like good friends and they, and they, they help each other out. And I think that that's another one of the core values that I want to inject across the industry is that you go further together uh, and it's lonely at the top. You need that support. You need that network. That in itself has been something that I've seen actually in many areas. And it's, it's been over the past handful of years, but I, th- I think, you know, if you flash back a couple of decades and it was like, it, it's like cutthroat restaurant, you know, everybody's against the, the next person. Everybody wants to take, you know, the diners and the business and the seats from, from the next guy. And now here we are where everybody is like, you know, I just, <laughs> I, not to make it sound soft, but you're just like, I just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I just don't, it's, it is exhausting to literally try to take down the next guy. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot easier and it feels better when you all work together. I love it. Um, you know, Matt's actually coming over here in about an hour. Please so. tell him I said hi. He's a great dude. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're at our, our agreed upon time, and I don't want to abuse uh, your time any more than I already have. You've been so generous anything, with your man. time, man. Yeah, I just cannot say thank you enough. Um, I, if anybody wants to say one last thing, I mean, maybe, maybe now's the time to get it out. If not, um, I'll give it a few more seconds, but just I just can't say thank you enough, Evan. Uh, you've been oh, so you're generous. welcome, man. Yeah, I love our conversations. It's, uh, it's great to chat, and uh, for all you guys out there, thank you guys so much, Sean. Awesome question, man. Anything you guys you guys need, definitely like. Um, I mean, reach you know, reach out. Um, like find stages on the uh, interwebs or whatnot. Uh, send us an email. Kick it. I was like, I definitely love to chat with any of you guys. You have follow up questions that you don't necessarily want to uh, put up on the air here. Um, I'd love to do it. Awesome. Um, yeah, use me as a resource. Yeah. And if, if you're okay, with we, we me, all need to make it through. If you're okay with me sharing this as a bonus episode, I might do that just because I think there was a yeah. lot of additional great value here and I'm trying to promote these shop talks. I want people to know that this was a live conversation. Obviously Sean joined us. Uh, and if you, if you guys are interested in being a part of the conversation, I would love to have you be a part of the conversation. Come join the network. Uh, email me, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com if you want to learn more about that. And I just, again, one more time, um, thank you so much. I wouldn't be able to do what I do with people, if not for people like you being so generous with their time and knowledge. So just thanks again. Yeah, man. Totally. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, cheers. We'll cut it there. And um, yeah. thanks for everybody that showed up. I appreciate your support in trying to create this additional resource for the industry. I can't do it alone. And you guys, uh, you guys have been so supportive of me. So thank you guys. And hopefully you guys all found value from this conversation. Awesome. I guess we can. Awesome. Thanks guys. Wrap it there. I'll stick around. If you guys want to reflect it all, Evan, you can get going if you want. All right. All right. Later dude. Thanks again. And I'll just hang out here if you guys want to chit chat a little bit. Um, feel free, or I don't want to trap you either. If you got to get going, feel free to get going as well. Did he say why he uh, chose the number nine as the uh, the number of guests? Uh, I think it was the space. I've been in the space, and um, it's like a it's like a L. Why didn't you ask that question, brother? 
<laughs> that's a great question we just opened up four days ago so I'm like, no no you're oh. good you're good i was like that was a good question i wish it no uh, i don't know the answer to that but i know he wanted and i didn't he, listen to the episode so i don't know oh really i know he intentionally wanted to keep it small um i think that's probably just what the space allotted for um it's an intimate space um but i don't know i, I think that it's pretty traditional for those those high touch prefab meals to, to, it's like less is more he charges 120 dollars a head uh, and you get nine people in two courses. You, you heard it, but um, I mean, the economics are really interesting. And I think that I, I don't, like I said, I don't think yeah. anybody can do that. I think you got to put a lot of work in to develop your brand to you know, go work. You got to go work for amazing people. You have to have a, some level of talent, obviously to be able to like, you gotta, we gotta love it. Cause he's, he's super creative and it's almost like art. It's an art form, you know, at that level. Um, I know a lot of you guys are more, um, you're playing the volume game. You're, you're bigger operations fast. Like, um, so I, I don't know if there, there was value in this. I, I'm sorry if there wasn't, um, it didn't really pertain to you guys specifically, but we're gonna be doing this every week. Hopefully, obviously I, I can't make my guests agree to this. Um, but I'm, I'm letting them down. I'm trying to recruit them and hopefully as we go, we can get some more, um, you know, uh, traditional operations in here to learn from one of the things that came up for me that i just made some note on is that um you know getting away from the concept to being an extension of yourself and you know hearing him talk about like in his episode as well as today um working for other people you know obviously going in as a sous chef or a chef you know um the starting our restaurants these are our recipes this is our baby this is an extension of ourselves um, our customers know us and, um, I would love to hear somebody talk about how they do that transition to, you know, not just bring on a cook to recreate what you've created, but like, I'm looking at bringing on a chef now and have like really looking at that, whether like I'm having ego over them wanting to take over my kitchen or, you know, how do we do this, like, lack of a better word, like this marriage of them being a chef, not just being a cook. Yeah. How do you give up that freedom? Right. Well, I think this is, it's, it's, I think that's more of an internal battle than an external battle. It's, it's probably starts with you internally. Um, it's hard to give up that type of control, right? It's, um, to, this is your baby, you know, like you're, you're married to this thing. Whereas this person's coming and they can leave tomorrow, but you're still going to be stuck with it. Right. So I get that. Um, but I feel like you're more, li- you're, you're more likely to not have somebody leave. If you do give them that sense of ownership and you do give them that sense of that outlet to express and create, um, and give them that, that, that portal for autonomy. Right. Um, I think it's just a matter of, of knowing and finding the right person, you know, maybe not like giving them the, the reins, overnight but like slowly scaling into it until you develop that trust mm-hmm. um but I, I can totally relate to what you're talking about i think i've i deal with it with restaurant unstoppable sometimes and some of the people in the past that have that have come on to join me and like to, to give up to give up that uh autonomy that that to share that autonomy. I, I, guess, I guess you can't share autonomy um i don't know that's a good question um i think it's more of an internal di- like battle uh you just have to like trust that if you have the right people on your team and, and, and you share your vision and your mission and they have the right values that they're going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like the two companies that do this really well that are well known are Ari's, you know, um, uh, Zingerman's and then also Virgin, you know, Virgin like hotels and Virgin airlines and all that stuff. He's really good at like selling a brand. And I was involved for like a couple of weeks and just like hearing, pitches about how Virgin does it. And it's basically like, you need to be these concepts and then everything else, like all the business part behind it, all like the nuts and bolts and like even the food that you offer or whatever it may be is completely on you, but the vibe and the culture has to be this, everything else is up to you. So I think that like, I thought that was a really cool way to, you know, still put a name in a, under an umbrella, but like how you get there, it's completely left up to you in terms of like an entrepreneurial feel, which I think attracts, you know, people that want to be entrepreneurs, but want to tie themselves or want the security of tying themselves to a different brand or align with a certain, you know, concept. So I definitely think that's a a model to look into if, if you're interested in expanding an umbrella, but still giving people a sense of autonomy. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be having, like I said, I'm going to be trying to get more and more people uh, to be doing these shop talks. It's still early. Um, But I think that, um, 
you know, the more we get into this, the more I'm still exploring this. This is still new for me too. But I think once we get some more like traditional operators in here, there might be more questions to ask. And I think that, um, I appreciate you guys showing up, but I know that you guys aren't necessarily like what, what Evan does isn't necessarily what you guys do. So, um, I think there was some value here though. Um, so hopefully- you know, when you broke down the, like his hard costs and cause you know, I was doing the math too. And I was like, how the fuck is he making any money? And then you broke down the hard costs. Sorry, I cussed. Um, no, but you're in good company. I'm not offended. I, mean, I can't <laughs> speak for the other two, but, but then we're all like, Oh, I mean, he's doing really well with three nights a week. He's still working a five, five day week, you know, but, um, that, that open three nights doesn't do anything on Sunday, you know? Um, but it wasn't easy, but I think that that the thing is he went into it with like, okay, like what's important to me? Like during the interview, he was talking about how like he went to work for Thomas Keller and how like that, what Thomas Keller does is amazing, but we hold these people on a pedestal and we don't really show what it takes to get there. You have to really ask yourself, is it worth it? Do you, do you want to like, what's, what's it take to be the best in the world? A shit ton of fucking sacrifice is what it takes and not the best quality of life. And like, those aren't necessarily things to admire. I don't think those are things to admire and it takes a special person, maybe even a broken person to do that. You know, not to say Thomas Keller is broken. Maybe he is whatever he has that internally that allows him to do what he does. Isn't everybody, you know? So you have to recognize that and not necessarily go after that. And I think that's what Evan had that conversation. He's like, I don't want to be the world famous chef. He's like, I want to have a quality of life and what can I do? What, like what, what does my life have to look like to achieve that? And he reverse engineered it, which I think is really cool. Um, he doesn't, I mean, he's making 26,000 a month before taxes and all those expenses, that's his gross. He nets about 13,000 a month. Um, it's pretty good. I think, you know, he's not a millionaire, but he, he's, he's doing exactly what he wants to do every day. He gets to wake up every day and be Evan Hennessy. You know, I think there's value. There's inherent value in that, which is, a, I think a serious question we all need to ask ourselves. Yeah. So I think there's value in that. Um, Cool guys, uh, I can't say thank you enough. Uh, I'm really excited for this network. I know there's only a few of us in here right now, and it feels like there's not a lot going on, but I, it's kind of intentional because I don't want there to be a flood of people in here that I that I can't keep up with. I want to at least have an idea of who's in the network. So when I see somebody come in, I'd be like, "Oh, I know what this person's doing." I'm like, "I'm going to ask some questions to serve them." Like, and I think over time, as we keep going and more people get in here like the and and we get identity of what the network is like what our core values are what our vision for the future is and i want you guys to be a part of that um early on and helping me like guiding me like giving me feedback on what's working what's not working and then as we fine tune it um we start putting it out there more as we get more people in i think there's this thing's only going to grow in value i just can't say enough thank you guys for trusting me early on putting this faith in me early on i wouldn't be able to do it without you guys so thank you so much thank you have a good one i gotta go um, yeah, I'm taking it as well. Cool. Um, all right, guys. Bye. Thanks. I'll see you soon. I'm sure I'm available every Tuesday and Thursday from noon to one. If you guys just ever want to shoot the shit and chat. Awesome. All right. Later dudes. And do that. There we go. Restaurant unstoppable shop talk. This is the second shop talk I think I've done. And uh, this is something I want to offer all my restaurant tour guests after they, their episode goes live the week, their episode goes live. I'll give you guys some time to listen to that episode uh, and then reflect on that conversation literally connects you with my network of restaurant tours. Um, so you can learn so they can share their knowledge with you and to literally live out the restaurant unstoppable core values of collaboration, of sharing knowledge of togetherness and all this that we shared in the beginning of the episode. And I thought there was a ton of value. I think this is a really good representation of what can happen when we slow down and choose to go deeper instead of feeding more people into the funnel. And that we got really into the economics of Evan's business and how he's actually doing it. The numbers he's, he's making, and I, I made sure that he was okay with me republishing this episode to the greater network because of how detailed he got. And he was totally cool with it. I just cannot say thank you enough to Evan. And uh, we have some other folks uh, lined up, some great folks. Uh, David Vargas uh, from 
uh, the Portsmouth area. We also have Nancy Batista Caswell coming on, who's a, a leading restaurateur in the Massachusetts North Shore. Uh, they have not agreed to do a, a, a shop talk yet, but... You know, hopefully they do, and we can help connect you with those folks. Um, and then we also have the workshops, which are every Wednesday live workshops. Not every Wednesday, but on Wednesdays. I'm thinking I'm going to try to do that twice a month until I really work out my routines and my systems. Um, the original goal was once a week. And I think it was a little ambitious of me, if I'm being honest. But I really want to focus on quality, not quantity right now. And I think that today was a great representation of that. Uh, if you guys are interested in being a part of these conversations, literally joining the conversation, uh, access to my network, my my restaurant tours, my experts, then head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 30 day trial. What you'll do is get a link to get a 30 day trial. I think it will actually bring you right over to Restaurant Unstoppable Network where you can create your profile. Um, and then it, after 30 days, it's just $1 a day. And if honestly, if it was up to me, I would make this all free. That's kind of been the goal of restaurant unstoppable to share knowledge and to make knowledge available to everyone, regardless of their privilege. Uh, but you know, I really need to diversify. I really need to ask for help. And if I, if I want to execute my vision for restaurant unstoppable, I need that help. And you guys can be there. You can support the show, join the network a dollar a day. It's a great deal for access to my network and my, my experts and me for a minimum of two hours a week. All right, guys, that's it for today. I hope you found value uh, in this shop talk. Uh, if you want to be a part of it, you know what to do. Again, restaurantunstoppable.com slash slash 30 day trial. All right. Hope to see you over there in the network. Until next time, peace out.